Now, welcome to another inspiring edition of Sound Insight with Dr. Tom Curran. Here we are again. I am with Sister Mary Eucharista today on the program. Sister, welcome back. Thank you very much, Tom. Sister, I feel like you're part of the family because this is, uh, this is a program that is airing on Faith and Family Fridays. And so you are right in the family. And so I love that, that uh, your sister, Mary Eucharista. And so I, I want to talk about that. Just as we just get launched, when, when you uh, embrace that name uh, as part of the consecrated life, a sister, uh, what does that mean? Do you, do you ever connect that to the sense of being like uh, a, a, a like a family kind of spirit to that, or is, what's the layering? Like, what are some of the layers of meanings of when someone refers to you as sister? Every day, I am a sister. This is my identity. It's I am a sister of the human race, and not only Christ's spouse. Wait a minute! But... Whoa, whoa! You just said something I've never what? heard before. I'm a sister of the human race. At every human being is for you, brother or sister, because of your consecrated life. I have never heard that identified in that way. Tell me more. Okay. I am so strong about this that I put it in my name all the time as, you know, no matter what we're writing. On my diploma, I said I want Sister Mary Eucharist at one place they said oh no we only put uh the person's name with their initials and i said no i i want sister that is my identity and they said no i'm so sorry sister i said well this other university did do that and they said oh send that to us and i did and they said send us your um send us your uh social security card we'll put on there whatever name is on your social security card i said okay it's Sister Mary Eucharista. And you should see some of the mail that comes to me. Mr. Sister Eucharista, <laughs> Sister Eucharista family. I mean, it is hilarious. And I just, you know, roll my eyes and open the envelope. But it's uh, very strong with me. This is a serious commitment to be a sister of the human race. And it is something that everyone needs a sister in their lives. And uh, in fact, I have... Uh, people who don't have any particular religious persuasion who call me sister, sister. <laughs> it's just like, I'm their sister. And it's like, you're a sister and you're my sister. And so you're sister, sister. And it's kind of funny because I, I call particularly this one person, brother, brother, because he's, he's just my brother. And That's so I sweet. mean, he's not my, he's not my real brother, but he's, he wants to be identified as my brother. I think God gave us sisters and brothers to kind of push up against and to, learn about life and to learn maybe about the other sex, maybe to learn about what it is to have a person who really believes in God or in something and to be, I feel kind of like I'm a big sister. I'm a big sister. So, you know, even older men who come with problems, I'm there to be their big sister and I'm their big sister in the Lord and they know it. And that's the part that makes me so overjoyed that God made me safe for the human race so that I can be there for them.
Hi, this is Dr. Tom Curran, and you know me as the host of Sound Insight. I am also letting folks know that as a realtor licensed in the state of Washington and in Idaho, I love serving Catholic families and others who are discerning a move for yourselves. It's much more than buying or selling a home. It's discerning a whole new life. If that's something that you would find uh, a help in, if I could be of service to you, please be in touch. You can find out more at drtomcurran.com, drtomcurran.com. I'm talking with Sister Mary Eucharista today. Uh, she is a beloved guest and a true sister in Christ of mine. And I enjoy you so much, uh, Sister Mary Eucharista. Uh, so Sister, I think about that. Um, one of the ways that I, I would talk about, like when I'm in men's groups, I'm saying, look, guys, I want you to think about being part of this men's group, less about being friends and more about being brothers. And the uh, the distinction that I, I say is that you choose your friends, you don't choose your brothers. Your brothers are given to you. And so there's a there's a like the hand of divine providence there. There's the hand of God's call there. And so there's a way in which um, your brothers are given to you and you feel a greater sense of, a, let me call it a density of concern. How's that for a phrase? A greater Woo-hoo! density of concern for um, your brothers and your sisters. So you, you get a star, Tom, you get a star. Oh, did you like that? Density of <laughs> I'm concern. getting a star from a sister, from a nun. <laughs> I love this. This is great. <laughs> this never happened to me when I was in school. That's my I problem. No, it's a gold star. It's right on your forehead, right there. And actually a sign of beatitude. How about that? <laughs> hey, man, this is awesome. Can I get the Corona as well? The, 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 uh, oh, no, no, the light? Uh, no, not yet. I'm not there yet. Not yet. Oh, okay. All right. Keep working. <laughs> <laughs> Can't get everything at once. <laughs> so the idea that um, uh, like a brother or a sister, they live in my heart with a, a particularity, right? There's a, a special sense of concern so that I can see a difference, a clear difference in my life between Oh, that difficult thing that happened to that family, that tragedy that happened to that group over there. Oh, that terrible scourge that's hit that situation, that neighborhood, that nation. And I can see it, but I don't feel it the way that I feel a text that comes into my family group chat with my brothers and sisters and something is happening to one of their lives. There's something about a sister or a brother that has that density of concern that I bear within me out of love. So you, sister, as a sister of every human being that lives, how do you live that out? How does that impact your prayer? How does that impact your consciousness of of going about your day-to-day life? Okay, now you asked three questions, so I'll do my best here. First of all, when we are called, sister, I I think the church is so beautiful and familial to give priests the title of father and mother superiors the title of mother and religious sisters the title of sister and uh, religious brothers the title of brother. This is a very familial uh, effort and it's a familial reality. This is where people can be at home. And I was in the Holy Land last September. People would come up to me from anywhere because they saw that, oh, there's a nun, there's a sister. Um, And they would 
come up and talk to me like I was their sister. It's like, sister, I'm from, I'm from Australia and I belong to this parish. And would you please pray for my uncle who is having troubles right now? And it's like, absolutely, I will pray for your uncle. And in the same breath, someone else is coming up saying, I'm uh, in a pilgrimage here from, uh, you know, uh, Germany. And I would like to know, can you please pray for me? And it's like, yes, I will. I will. And then uh, you blink again. And here's uh, a, a priest from uh, from Spain saying, uh, es uh, me, Spain. And I'm like, hi, are you brother or father? He's like, uh, Padre, and I'm like, oh, Padre, and what a joy. And he's in his habit, I'm in my habit. I don't know him from Adam, except now he's my brother because he just came up and said this, but I could have spotted him across a room and said, that's my brother. And he would look at me across the room and say, there's a sister, because they always put that little E sound before the S's. Anyway, there's one way that I have experienced more almost more intimately that idea of uh you can never go anywhere dressed like this without people addressing you as even kids will come up sometimes and say hello sister and it's like i'll say well hello and by the fact that i've responded they look at their friends and they're like i know what to call her she's a sister and i am their sister i am the sister of the human race so when um when i pray when all of us pray in the convent chapel we are praying as sisters of the human race, and we're offering our prayers to the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in the name of the church, but also uh, in the name of Christ. And we're able to actually know that I am their sister. Jesus is my brother. Okay, he's my spouse too. So it gets confusing. But at any rate, this is where we have to be able to uh understand ourselves and what our call is in relation a, a sister living essentially a public life and going out among human beings she is going to be observed by many different beings and they're all going to be having a thought some of those thoughts are oh that looks like the book i read when i was a kid some thoughts are oh my goodness i remember sister cecilia when i was in sixth grade another thought might be hey, don't nuns carry rulers in their pocket? Aren't they mean? I think they are. Let's go say hi and see what she does, you know? And it's like, I'm a screen upon which people are projecting their thoughts and ideas about the hum about, about religious sisters. But mostly, I am a sign in the world, a prophetic sign that God lives and that there is an eternal life after this that I think these Catholics believe, right? And if I'm in any doubt, I can go ask her because she would know the answer. So sister, in the news, there have been some kind of infamous others who wear a form of habit. I'm sure you've been asked about this because of its recent appearance. At, I'm talking about Dodger Stadium and the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence. Uh, St. Thomas Aquinas said that we are called upon to love our enemies, and we love our enemies not under the aspect at which they are an enemy to us, but we love them under the aspect 
at which they are also a sharer of a common humanity. And that sounds a bit like what you're talking about, sister, because loving your enemies, boy, it, I, I get a bit enraged. I get a bit disgusted. I feel like they're... Uh, words like sacrilege and blasphemy show up inside of me. And when you see the the holy, uh, the, the, the pious way we ought to be connecting to those who wear a religious habit, and then to see it on display in that format, the way that these these men dressing like women are doing this, um, how do you how do you live out your sense of you know what they are not outside the care that I have for them as human beings how, how do you do that how do, what have you said when folks have brought that kind of situation in front of you I have said that I'm praying for them and I know that if they were not in the political realm, but if they were to meet me on the sidewalk, I would try to forge a relationship with them. Because obviously, if they truly knew, you know, uh, if you study philosophy, uh, Socrates says that ignorance, that people do wrong things out of ignorance. And if they really knew, really knew, that they would not do the thing that they're doing. And uh, Aristotle goes further and he says, no, there is something within the human heart that tells us that we are doing wrong. I think that I will never be the judge of this, but I am, I am certainly uh, very saddened, grieved, and at times angered when I see actions that are done in sacrilege and blasphemy, uh, sort of knowing what's going on, but I can't imagine that somebody would do this in reality, but I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, um, I'm not blind to the reality that, that, that probably is there, that there is a lot of knowledge about what is happening here. I I have not myself seen this. I've I've only seen pictures of the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence. Um, I am friends with many people that you wouldn't imagine I would be friends with. I have friends who are Buddhists, friends who are of all different races, friends who are uh, Protestant, friends who are uh, of all interfaith. You know, I know I know uh, people from the Sikh uh, religion. I I am friends with many many people i have never met anyone who knew me and then would willingly show blasphemy in front of me and i almost know that some people in the world it seems weird and i almost am regretful having to say this uh in an open way but jesus loves every one of those men there's a one woman in there too, a cisgender <clears throat> woman. And she is, uh, I won't say her name because it's suggestive. And you just have to know that they're getting a huge guffaw out of something that is very sacred. And I think 
uh, we, I think religious sisters are being used and abused out there as actions are done to abuse our faith and hurt the human consciousness about Jesus Christ. Obviously, there is deep ignorance happening here for the sake of a laugh. And um, at the same time, I just have to ask myself, how is Jesus perceiving this? And go with what I get on an answer about that. And St. Francis de Sales says, to err on the side of charity is 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 much more preferable than to err on the side of um, uh, sin or I mean uh, other things. So that's where I choose to to err on the side of charity and imagine that these these people cannot possibly truly know God and do this against Him. I think once they knew the mercy of Christ, they would have to either drop out or change things. Um, that's my perception. Uh, as a sister of these people, I I would sister them. That's what I would do. And I would not be afraid of doing that. Uh, I love what you just said. I would sister them. You're coming up with the, some of the greatest phrases hey. in this in this uh, interview, sister. I love it. Mr. You know, sister, I, I oh, would yeah, sister yeah, them, yeah. sister of the human race. Man, yeah. you are... You're just you're you're doing some spiritual flexing here. So this is awesome. Thank you. Wow. All right. Ooh. Spiritual flexing. Hey, I'm doing some too, right? So Coming up with you. phrases like that. Let's Check go. The <laughs> so sister, you actually provide a nice bridge to a theme that is probably much closer to the lives of the majority of folks listening or watching, and that is not so much that I feel a sense of disgust towards others but more that I feel a sense of disgust towards myself. And that happens when I sin. Uh, St. John Paul II said that um, sin has uh, transitive and intransitive effects, that when we act, we act in a way that has consequences on the world, but when we act, it has a reflexive impact on ourselves. And the impact it has on ourselves is even more profound than it has on the world. So that when we sin, we're doing something hateful. And that hateful thing is expressed in the world. But in sinning, we become hateful to ourselves. And you stop and say, what a terrible state to be in, where we feel a sense of disgust, hatred towards self, or tremendous sense of guilt and shame that I thought this, I spoke this, I did this, or I avoided this. And that brings us right to the heart of your uh, silent day of prayer next Wednesday, the 28th, from nine in the morning until three in the afternoon at the Immaculate Heart Retreat Center. Uh, it's on the trouble of guilt. Oh no, here we go again. Hey, this is Dr. Tom Curran, the host of Sound Insight, but also a realtor serving wonderful folks like you in the state of Washington and in Idaho. I've had the privilege and pleasure of helping dozens of families in the last two and a half years discern and find a, a strategy, a path, and a plan to help their families find a whole new life in eastern Washington and northern Idaho. If I could be of service to you in that, I would love to. Please reach out, drtomcurran.com, drtomcurran.com. Okay, back to Sound Insight. Help us enter into that topic of folks that are listening who 
are less concerned about a sense of disgust towards some folks that are troubled who are living far away from them and they're never going to see them and instead are troubled when they look in the mirror and the sense of self-hatred or disgust they feel towards themselves because of what they live within them. Well, you know, as I got into the material for this uh, day of prayer, I started wondering, wow, this is going to take more than a day of prayer because it's a lot. It, you know, this this understanding of guilt, there is true guilt and there's false guilt, but the false guilt goes down so many different roads that I am uh, almost like, I'm, I, as I, I, I continue to do and redo the slides, I always do a PowerPoint with my, my uh, days of prayer. And I think it, it, it hits people with two senses. It's, it's better than if I'm just speaking to them. And oftentimes when you catch sight of a beautiful slide that has Jesus on it compared with words that I'm, I'm uh, you know, trying to keep as simple as I can so that it goes in easily. I also give a handout so that they know they don't have to be taking notes rapidly while I'm trying to help them to know the truth, not just to uh, hear it briefly. And then it floats out, you know, with the next breath, because I don't know about you, but my short term memory gets shorter and shorter as I get older. And I'm, you know, I need something in front of me sometimes. But this guilt is, is not so much about self-loathing or shame as just a negative aspect of perhaps actions done that may be sinful or may not be sinful. And I have found that especially people, and when they say Catholic guilt and then people laugh and they go, oh, yeah, 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 Catholic guilt. And then I hear other people say, oh, Catholic guilt, that's a misnomer. That's not even true. And it's like, well, I don't know. I'm in the middle on that one because... When you have good parents who kind of were never told not to treat your little children as moral agents yet, you can kind of be invested with a guilt that is about perfectionism or uh, maybe even uh, Pelagianism, where I didn't try hard enough. I didn't work hard enough on this thing. I didn't treat him well. And now you're kind of stuck in a cycle. And this cycle is not any more healthy than a person who goes about doing sin and then not feeling guilt. Both of those are, are omission. You know, it's, it's one of them is an omission. The other is like an over overarching sense of negativity, which is not from God. So what we're going to do at this day of prayer is identify these various kinds of things we call guilt. I mean, there's so many words. There's remorse, there's regret, there's shame, there's false guilt, there's true guilt. You know, we're going to break these things down. Look at what St. Thomas Aquinas kind of does. I always kind of get a, a little cocktail of St. Thomas Aquinas and St. John Paul II. And uh, we work in there with some of this. And on you know, understand human nature uh, through the understanding of theology of the body. And this is where uh, guilt is not something that burdens holiness. Holiness 
is being possessed by God. It is not about all the actions that I'm doing. But, you know, our emotions are are in here too. And when we, you know, we'll look at some of our emotions and the various ways our emotions touch are, or are touched by our actions. And depending on how we have been treated as children, what our understanding has been with uh, certain ways that maybe impacted us as moral actions, but never were, you know, how, how confusing this can be. So I don't, I don't want to, uh, I, this, this, my intent during this day of prayer is not to load people down with a thousand definitions, but it's to show, it's to proclaim the good news that the resurrection breaks through all of the negativity in our lives. And if we have a wrongness of conscience, perhaps, or just a perfectionistic uh, a cycle that we are stuck in, that we Jesus can break through that and come and save us and let us know we're we're his and he has already saved us and we can let go we've already been to confession stop the cycle get off the negative wagon and and don't go there anymore and also in the process to treat ourselves with respect strangely i i remember once being in a therapist's office and I just said some things that I needed help on and it involved the actions of someone. And as I went into the description of this and then I was asked more and more questions and I was kind of telling the story of things, I suddenly was like attacked by my own sense of like, I can't say that about this person oh my goodness, okay, I take it all back. And by the end of it, I had just totally uh, backtracked to, or backpedaled to this person. Nothing ever was wrong. Everything was fine. It's my problem. I don't know what's wrong here. Um, it must be me. And and he's like, sister, what's going on? I was like, I don't know. I guess I feel really guilty about having said this to you even though I wasn't blaming this person I was simply telling the story but I wanted it to be different because I didn't want anyone outside of my family to know anything about this and I was like you know I, I okay let me just say it I was angry at my mother and I was going to defend my mother with a sword at the end of it because I was like okay just a minute I take it all back. Nothing is wrong with my mom. My mom was the best mom you could ever have. And, and this therapist who was very old knew what was going on. He said, so tell me what's happening. I was like, I, I don't know. I, I don't know. Just take, I take it all back. It wasn't, well, I didn't say it wasn't true. I just said, it's not important. It doesn't matter. And he said, I'm getting a suspicion that this is very important. In fact, so important that if we were to let it go, that might be something we need to feel bad about. What is, and it wasn't anything really bad that my mom had said or done. It was just ways that things had impacted me when I was young. Mm -hmm. And even mm -hmm. now I feel a little bit of like, oh, you're on, you're on, you're on, you know, shaky ground here to get out of there. And it's like, no, what this is, is a kind of guilt that came back that I called guilt. And I said, the guilt won't stop. I just don't know how to stop the guilt. And he said, talk to it. I was like, 
you know, I tried to kind of kick it out of the way. It just won't go. And he said, have you ever tried just being kind to it? And I was like, okay, this is so weird. I would never tell anyone about this. And here I am talking about this publicly. And I said, okay, let me try that. So I just, I just said very quietly within myself, guilt. I, oh, this is what he said. He said, this is a, guilt has been your friend in the past. This kind of guilt. This is not about true guilt. This is about a kind of perfectionistic thing that comes back and haunts you if you didn't do something according to someone else's standards. And here I was talking to this guilt. And he said, first of all, sister, I'm concerned about the violence of you wanting to kick away that guilt. And and then I said, okay. And he said, maybe if you were more gentle and just invited the guilt to go away, because the guilt has been your friend in the past, this kind of guilt. So I talked to it and it's like the doors opened and I was free for that moment of this cycle that I was stuck in. And I was so impressed by that. I thought, how did that just go away? I mean, I've been trying to kick that thing out of my life for for the longest time. And I didn't know what to call it really. But as we talked, I realized it was a false sense of guilt. And it was standing in my way. And as I have spoken to people through the years, they have said, wow, I want to know more about this. And that's where I got this idea. And I'll say, particularly women seem to be saddled with a kind of perfectionistic guilt feeling that is really a negative feeling that has come in to warn them, don't say this, don't do that in front of this other person, because you're going to have something happen to you. And if you get into the study or therapy of IFS, it's called internal family systems, you'll find that there are parts of ourselves that they call like firefighters and police officers that are like guarding the doors and saying, no, no, don't, don't do that. And what had happened was during that therapy session, uh, I understood this later, um, that like a firefighter, what was a very strong part of myself, got in front of the doorway and said, don't say stuff about your mom. It's no one's business. Mom is sacred. Nobody steps on the ground that holds mom. This is where we are loyal in our family. And we don't talk about this. And it's like, that's a lot. That's a lot. And it goes back to early childhood. It goes back to loyalty to our family. It goes back to things we've heard our parents say. It goes back to all kinds of influences, you know, that we uh, understand as human beings, that we understand as families. But being a sister of the human race, I decided that this would be something that we could talk about and pray over and examine and find remedies for as we go forward in our spiritual lives. Um, I learned about IFS, Internal Family Systems, through the certification that I took for spiritual direction, which is uh, headed by Father Boniface Hicks. And we actually had a, a... a good counselor who was one of our teachers, our professors during the time that I took my my cert. And it was uh, in Latrobe, Pennsylvania through um, St. Vincent's College. And that's where the IFS or the, um, I'm sorry, the um, uh, Institute of uh, Ministry Formation 
was done for me to get my my certification. So it really made me happy that I was able to understand uh, the parts of ourselves and actually add that into some of the things that I talk about in days of prayer or retreats and be able to explain a little bit about how our minds work. I just noticed some of the monks really thought that was a good system and that this Catholic counselor was also very impressed with how this system, internal family systems, can explain some of the ways that we understand ourselves, our behavior, and our thinking process. Sister, that's a that's very powerful what you shared. You shared a lot there, and I have like 17 follow-up questions. Okay, I'm talking Sister Mary oh. Eucharista. And um, I want to I want to start with um, I'm going to kind of speak back to you language that came from my spiritual director when it was associated with learning to live well with my own inner experience that was negative. And so uh, I think there's a lot of commonality here. And this uh, this kind of goes to the to the gift of um, nurturing a prayer life and having a spiritual director, having someone help lead you into these things. Um, which I know you do at the Immaculate Heart Retreat Center and offering this day of prayer is such a gift. Um, what he said to me, this beautiful holy priest of God said was, uh, Tom, you need to learn to live well. You're being invited to learn to live well and to learn to love yourself as someone, even that one who experiences these negative emotions. Learn to love yourself even as someone who is experiencing these negative things. So it's not the same thing as saying, I love that these negative things are happening inside of me, but I'm able to love myself, even that one who is experiencing these negative things inside of me. And so it's a way of not, you use the phrase kicking it, you're gonna kick this out, kick this out, kick this away. And by doing that, there's a kind of rejection of self that is preventing me from experiencing the transformation that will come if I can sort out and distinguish the difference between embracing that negative thing as a negative thing and embracing myself as someone in whom this negative thing is happening. That is a subtle but profoundly important distinction that it often will take a wise spiritual director or counselor who understands our tradition and good human psychology to be able to say, I'm going to, the Lord wants to shepherd you into a place of freedom that is beyond what you feel like is a stuck place. Yeah. And I, I don't know, that's how it was shared with me. How does that language sound to you? I think it is gentle and wise, and it is how Jesus perceives us. He is our Lord. He is our Savior, but he is also our brother in a sense that he has become human for us. He did not have to do this. And when he speaks of the good shepherd, he says, I am the good shepherd, and I lay down my life for my sheep. He is standing at the doorway, the shepherd, the good shepherd in the Holy Land. The, the shepherd always sits in the gateway of the shepherd fold when it go, comes home at night. 
there's a little space and it's like this gate part and it is the gate of the sheepfold and it is where the shepherd sits and he could sit there all night or he might take breaks and someone else will go there but nothing goes by that shepherd and jesus is comforting us in our darkness and our negative thoughts and you know when i you mentioned what i had just said about kicking away the guilt kicking it away i i kept trying to do it and it would just kind of suck back it would just be like it was like even faster i i would i would in my mind kick it and it would right back and it's like i'm going to defend you no matter what no matter what no matter what but it didn't do any good as soon as i said you can go away now because i don't need you right now thank you for what you have done and you see the difference between the violence of even i mean i'm not going to really physically kick my guilt but i am going to speak respectfully and as soon as i did very graciously the guilt just left me hmm. and i was so astounded by that it took it i mean i still think about it today and this was so many years ago this was in the 90s and um i just am stunned by the way that speaking to ourselves with respect we 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 are not jesus god created us jesus loves us we are worthy by the fact that god made us and jesus loves us the holy spirit abides in us he chose us as his temple this profoundly astounding knowledge and the fact that he god allows us he gave us his divine blood in our veins by baptism we are divine and welcome at the the, the table of the lamb how many ways can this come in and meanwhile we have self-loathing and we're stuck in a cycle of guilt over stupid perfectionism that doesn't matter anyway nobody if we ever imagined oh everybody's thinking about me doing this and it's like honey if you really knew it really nobody's thinking about you doing this and you can let it go and it's like oh my gosh really there is some stuck pride in here too and there's a, a humility that is waiting to to land and I think that understanding how we are dealing with those elements of negativity within ourselves that are singing a very loud song that we can't hear any comfort over the din. When Jesus comes to bring us his humility during this month of the sacred heart, Jesus, meek and humble of heart, make our hearts like unto thine. This is where we can understand humility in a more uh, in a more realistic way and also understand that we can just let that perfectionism and that negative stuff just go. And when it comes back, just invite it to go again, just go. And also not to treat ourselves with violence, but with respect, the same respect we would give to Jesus, the same respect we would give to our neighbor. All of this is part of this day of prayer. All of this is part of an understanding of an inner life that we are living and perhaps wondering, why does the negative thinking come in like this? Well, it comes from one of three things, the world, the flesh, which is what we've been talking about. The flesh is us with the effects of original sin or the devil. And the devil, if he senses that there is some level of self-loathing that could be there, 
the devil will do its best. And I, I assign, I don't assign any kind of sex to the devil because he doesn't have sex anyway, but also, I don't know. I just, it will begin to like expand that. Like if we, by our, in, you know, our perfectionism, let's say, are experiencing negative thoughts and we can't throw them off or get them off track or invite them to go or something's just not working. The devil will try its best to just expand, expand, expand and decrease our faith, hope and trust. When we experience an increase, increase of faith, hope and trust, that's when we know it's God's voice. And that's when we know we're on the right track. And those negative thoughts can just float out the window because we now have an increase of faith, hope, and trust, and we know God's voice is back. That's so beautiful, sister. I think about the um, the way in which uh, what Aquinas, what you pay attention to grows stronger. Mm-hmm. And if you pay attention to and nurture negative feelings, then it's going to grow in you. And yes. I think that's one of the great gifts of your upcoming silent day of prayer is that you give folks um, a landing spot, right? They don't have to like, oh, I'll, I'll take some time today or I'll make some time tomorrow. And then it just gets crowded out by busyness and other activities. Well, lock it on your calendar. Come on out next Wednesday, the 28th, uh, which is a beautiful day, nine in the morning till three in the afternoon. Give over that time to the Lord and watch how, this sense of guilt, perfectionism, or resistance to experiencing guilt, whatever those strong emotions are that are holding us back that we want to kick out and attack that just keep clinging to us, watch how the Lord will dissolve them. Watch how the Lord will give us the grace of gentleness towards ourselves. I think that's a beautiful gift. It's happening at the Immaculate Heart Retreat Center on the South Hill of Spokane, um, you can go to ihrc.net, ihrc.net, to be able to register and to get more information about it. Sister, I, I'm going to just keep asking you. It it sounds as if, sister, that the extremes seem to meet. And what I mean is this. You talked about two different forms of guilt. And the first is, is this idea of being overly sensitized to guilt, scrupulosity. I, I see myself guilty and falling short at every turn, and I kind of create a trap for myself. And on the other hand is the resistance to having any capacity to acknowledge a sense of guilt and how those two can live together, even though they're the extreme opposite. The resistance to acknowledging any guilt whatsoever and a hypersensitivity to always falling short and how the Lord wants us to be in the middle. You talked about the the humility of being gentle enough with ourselves to embrace the gentleness that the Good Shepherd has for us to be able to shed both extremes. Um, you, You seem to emphasize a bit more the uh, hypersensitivity, the perfectionism that's connected with guilt. Do you also experience that sense of the other extreme as well, where folks are resistant at all to taking any accountability for uh, their lives or or any acknowledgement of falling short? Yes. In fact, um, the church teaches in, in St. Saint, Saint Thomas Aquinas, of course, we have to mention our favorite there, but he is... Um, very strong about uh, the idea of 
the 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 right conscience, and it is uh, right conscience is in the center, and you have laxity on one side, and you have um, scrupulosity on the other, of on, on either side of right conscience. When we are experiencing either laxity or scrupulosity, we are involved in a wrong conscience. And typically, people going to a day of prayer are not going to be so much, uh, diff, you know, finding difficulty with laxity. Although laxity is in all of our lives on some level, I would say perhaps um, at the risk of being scrupulous, people who are addicted cannot just shake an addiction because they decided to change their lives. Mm-hmm. Uh, addictions have a life of their own, and it's very, uh, it's very risky not to have someone with you on that, either a, a spiritual director or a priest in confession or a counselor. But addiction needs special treatment, and people can go to confession every day and still have an addiction, but they are getting the grace at each reconciliation to strengthen that weakness and they should not shy away from that. But if the scrupulosity, if any kind of scrupulosity continues, that's not being scrupulous to confess it. Let's say a porn addict or someone who is, they they need special help. A sex addict needs special help. And in committing the sin, um, they are, uh, an addiction does lessen the culpability down the road, but it doesn't, you know, in the beginning, certain decisions are made, and that's what prepared the way for the addiction. And that's where then there's a, a wrestling match going on of spirit and flesh. And as St. Paul says, I do the things I shouldn't do, and I don't do the things that I should. Well, he's speaking about the human condition with the effects of original sin. Mm-hmm. And it's the the magnitude of our error and our problems with the effects of original sin are, is so great that it really almost uh, helps us to understand how God can work with us and and bring about holiness in us by possessing us when we are finally out of that control method where we can release ourselves totally to the heart of God. And that takes a lot because it's not natural for us to do that, especially when we have grown into adults to take a childlike sense of, Lord, take my heart, as St. Ignatius of Loyola says, take my being, take my mind, and take all of this. It is yours. I desire nothing but you. This takes a great deal of courage. We can say that prayer of St. Ignatius with a great glibness, but to really mean it is really, really hard. It's like total consecration to Jesus through Mary. You give everything. And if you don't mean it, then you're not really consecrating yourself. But if you really mean it, it's a lot. It's going on. And hopefully with good, the good judgment of going to a good spiritual director a, a priest who will assist you in confession or a therapist, a good therapist. All three of those sometimes are needed for certain things, but there's just aren't enough people to go around sometimes. And that's where good reading can help us as well. And that's where forming a right conscience keeps us in the middle um, where uh, laxness is, um, is, is not a virtue. Scrupulosity is not a virtue. The middle is right conscience. And that's where 
pulling those those elements together, I think the more that if if a person is highly scrupulous, as that person allows herself to gravitate towards right conscience again, she will also find that there is a, a lack of of laxness as well. The laxity will also be drawn into right conscience. If a person is super lax and they are working towards right conscience, they will also not be attracted towards scrupulosity with good direction. So I think both of those may be present in the soul at the same time, but as one is working towards right conscience, then those both sides will be pulling in. Does that make it a little more clear? Yeah, I, I love what you're saying. I love the uh, the wonderful teaching that's happening here. It um, You mentioned good reading and following good guidance. Um, and so right conscience, like the voice of God. So being able to come to places and spaces where that can happen is such a gift. Um, there was a book that was recommended to me around this theme. It was called Spirituality and the Gentle Life by Adrian von Kamm. It was in like 1984 or 85 that that book was recommended to me, Spirituality and the Gentle Life. And it uh, uh, a number of the things that I've shared today um, are traced back to that book, that nice. our incapacity to be gentle with others and our quickness to be severe, to be caustic, to be um, sarcastic, sarcastic, to be yes. negative is traced Rigid. back to our inability to be gentle with ourselves Yes. And one of the remedies is simply coming before the Lord and allowing the Lord to love us. We don't have to yeah. say anything. We don't have to do anything. We don't have to have accomplished anything. You talked about that Pelagian spirit, but just be there and allow the Lord, permit the Lord, ask the Lord to just love you and letting those waves of love wash over you, wash over you, wash over you. And then even taking a step to say, Lord, who am I to you? We're so often quick to say, Lord, what do you want me to do for you? But if we ever were willing to take the risk of coming before the Lord in prayer, especially in like the, the presence of the Lord in the Blessed Sacrament, and just saying, Lord, who am I to you? Who am I in your eyes? And just reveal that to me, Lord. And then just letting him wash over me with love, wash over me with love, it'll it'll smooth out those rough edges. It'll sever connections to those harsh memories that make me want to be so defensive and so sarcastic. And it'll sow seeds in me of having been affirmed and celebrated by the Lord to then want to celebrate and affirm others. You know, I love how you are saying this. This is something um, that is hard for people who have tried really hard in the spiritual life and, and adapted that with, uh, you know, unconsciously that, that Pelagian spirit of Pelagianism is a, a heresy that, uh, you know, demands that you work very hard for your salvation and only by, by your own efforts will you gain it. And that's really in contrast to a true Catholic spirit, which is to uh, to do your best, but to let the Lord do his work in us and to go to the sacraments, do the things that need to be done, but 
to know that if we fail, it's not uh, due to uh, God. God's power is greater every time. And yes, to do our best, but not to imagine that we are uh, weightlifters, you know, trying to achieve God's, uh, you know, the more that we do this, the Lord will see this and approve of me. This is never going to be the spirit that draws us into that childlike place where God is embracing us as a parent and we are receiving him and loving him and allowing him to love us. God made us as human beings, not human doings. And that human doingness can be part of an ardent soul's journey where they have to, they begin to realize it's not so much in my efforts. Am I trying to earn salvation? If I am, then I'm on the wrong track. And to permit the Lord to love me, to allow the Lord to love me. One time in a in a, a coffee and contemplation uh, event that I had uh, invited someone to come and speak. And he said, let the Lord love you. Let the Lord heal you. Let the Lord touch you. All of it was making kind of these bristles and things come out on me. And I was like, what in the world is the matter with me? It's like, no, 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 no. And later I did talk about this with my spiritual director. And the spiritual director said, you know, to let Jesus in takes a lot of, I mean, you agree to let this powerful being come into your life and I, I mean, I've been a nun for many years. I can't, could not believe how I resisted letting that word let. It's like, <gasps> I was like nail biting in my, in my soul. And I was thinking, what in the world's the matter with me? Jesus, you come on in here. And it's like, wait, there we go again with that. You know, I'm going to push all my feelings aside here. No. Why am I feeling this way? Well, Jesus is very powerful. Like Father or uh, Bishop Robert Barron says, Jesus is dangerous. Remember in C.S. Lewis, Aslan was not a tame lion. Jesus is powerful. To let him in takes some courage and humility. And, you know, I have to start acknowledging, wow, certain things I'm afraid. Why am I afraid? Well, because I guess I never faced the reality of knowing Jesus is intimidating on some levels. And when he looks at me with his beautiful eyes and I melt in his presence, then I want him to have whatever. This is all yours, Lord. I am yours. This is Jesus territory now. And sometimes we have to renew that over and over and over and get different aspects of ourselves to acknowledge Jesus is Lord. One time I was talking to Mother Catherine Joseph and she said, certain parts of ourselves aren't uh, aren't redeemed. You know, we just have to kind of get those, ask for the Lord to redeem those. I said, wait, I think all of creation is redeemed. Am I not right? Maybe they're not evangelized. And that will be my prayer for everyone going to this day of prayer that and any day of prayer, that all parts of ourselves can be evangelized by the great evangelizer, the, the, the good news himself, Jesus. And he is here, meek, gentle, and humble of heart, and waiting for us to come to him. 
Amen. That's Sister Mary Eucharista. You do not want to miss that beautiful day of prayer, which is next Wednesday, the 28th, nine in the morning until three in the afternoon at the Immaculate Heart Retreat Center, ihrc.net, ihrc.net to sign up for it. Come and be with Sister Mary Eucharista and so many other wonderful faithful. Thanks, Sister, for being with me today. Thank you, Tom. God bless you and everyone else.